0: If you're a regular Geek's Guide to the Galaxy listener, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And I want to give a special thank you to Jay Lebo, who just gave us this five-star review. I found Geek's Guide about six months ago. I've been a secret in-the-closet nerd my entire life, but have really let it fly over the last few years. Geek's Guide is now home. David, the panelists, the book and movie recommendations are amazingly in line with everything I like. Keep them coming. I've listened to about 60% of the episodes so far and never want to reach 100%. I'm also a small Patreon subscriber now to the show. Love you all and keep crushing it geek style. So big thanks again to Jay Lebo for that great review. All right, so now let's get to our show. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 503 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show we'll be discussing season 1 of the Apple TV Plus series Foundation, based on the novels by Isaac Asimov. And this will include spoilers for all 10 episodes, so just be aware of that. And we previously discussed Asimov's novels Foundation and Foundation and Empire back in episode 434, so definitely check that out if you missed it. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Anthony Ha, making his 27th appearance on the show. He's a writer and longtime tech journalist living in Harlem. A chapbook of his short stories called Love Songs for Monsters was published by the small press Youth in Decline in 2014. And his fiction has also appeared in Lady Churchill's Rosebud Rislet. He's the co-host of the podcast Original Content and the comics interview series Panel to Panel. So, Anthony, welcome to the show. I'm excited to be back. The next up, we've got John Kessel, making his seventh appearance on the show. He's the author of novels such as The Moon and the Other and Pride and Prometheus, and short story collections such as The Pure Product and The Bomb Plan for Financial Independence. His collection, The Dark Ride, the best short fiction of John Kessel, will be out in June. So, John, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here. And also joining us today is Abby Goldsmith, who you may remember from our panel on the Foundation novels back in episode 434, And it's our panel on season one of Upload back in episode 457. She's a co-host of the Stories for Nerds podcast, and her short fiction has appeared in Escape Pod and Fantasy Magazine. Her Torth series of space opera novels are available now on Wattpad, where they've racked up over 65,000 reads. So, Abby, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me back on.
0: Okay, so let's start off with Anthony and have you tell us about your expectations going into this Foundation TV show.
2: They were very, very high. I love the the books, uh, particularly the original series. And um, I knew that David Goyer was going to be the showrunner who he hasn't, you know, I think um, he has a pretty mixed track record, but has definitely worked on some interesting projects like the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. And he was saying all the right things in terms of really, you know, appreciating and valuing Asimov's stories. So, and I got the sense also that Apple was spending a lot of money on the show. So I was just excited also to see a big budget adaptation of the foundation stories. So I certainly had some trepidation because I wasn't totally clear on how you could actually adapt the foundation stories in a way that wasn't deeply uncinematic. But I was also very excited. Oh, and then also Jared Harris, I, I just think is a, a terrific actor. And so when I found out he was playing Harry Seldon, that definitely intensified my excitement.
3: Yeah. So the main reason we're, we had a lot of trepidation about this show, right, is because the, this is a story, Asimov's story, that unfolds over decades, centuries. And so each, each story or whatever, you know, each, each episode jumps forward in time. So we're all kind of like, wait—is this going to have completely different characters? Uh, you know, is, are they going to change the cast? Is it going to be like an anthology show where they change the cast completely every episode or every couple episodes? Right? So there's a lot of trepidation around how that would all, how that was all going to work out, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Abby, what were your expectations yeah. going into the show?
1: I mean, the same trepidation there where I was like, how are they going to adapt this? I think that that's, this has got to be one of the most difficult stories to adapt for the screen ever. <laughs> so, um, you know, I wasn't sure how they'd be able to pull it off. I didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. I mean, um, I think also with any sci- like classic science fiction show, there's always a lot of trepidation, too, about just like, is this going to be a travesty? I mean, like... yeah. With Asimov specifically, you have the the Will Smith iRobot movie. Uh, you have the I don't know if anyone ever saw it. There was this um, Nightfall movie. It was pretty terrible. I mean, it it seems like a lot of these things they 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 seem to go out of their way to have the the theme be the exact opposite of whatever the <laughs> source material was. Yeah. So, yes. so I don't know, Abby, do you? Uh, Did you ever see iRobot or Nightfall or or any of those things?
1: Uh, Yeah, I did see iRobot. Yeah.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I remember with iRobot, mostly, I don't remember all the details, but I remember there were hordes of murderous robots running wild. (laughs) Right. You know, that that was so anti-Asimov that 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 really was a travesty.
3: Yeah. Well, and there was, I mean, it was particularly bad with that because there was this... um, Screenplay that Harlan Ellison had written that had been right. blessed by Asimov. Uh, so, you know, the fact that they, they, that that didn't go anywhere was, was pretty disappointing. And then, yeah, and that, that Asimov's whole, uh, motivation for writing the robot stories initially was because he wanted to do something different than the, the robots r- running amok and killing everybody. <laughs> and so to have the story largely turned into that, uh, it, it, yeah, it, it's just like, it just makes you so nervous for for what, what these things are going to – how these things are going to turn out. I was worried with uh, Foundation that uh, the books
4: just aren't very cinematic and um, they don't have the kind of – even though Asimov himself said that he was trying to do a kind of swashbuckling, sp- star-spanning galactic adventure – he wasn't that kind of writer, and so uh, you know, it didn't have a lot of space battles and and individual uh, physical conflicts and uh, you know explosions and 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 uh, super science even. And so I thought, well, what, how are they going to do this? And uh, one of the things I, I worried about is that you know I I didn't see how they could do it without making serious changes to what Asimov
3: did. And I was in favor of serious changes (laughs) because I thought that that was the only way it was going to work. Yeah, I I was taking serious changes for granted, pretty much. I mean, like, I think it would be interesting if they were to do some sort of anthology thing where the characters actually are changing generations by generation. But I just think there's all sorts of practical reasons why that was almost certainly not gonna happen. So um so I was really curious to see how they would handle that. And then the uh the first trailer I saw actually looked really good. I mean the the production values looked great. And but I was sort of confused because, you know, it was all about Harry Seldon. It was I mean mostly about Harry Seldon and um it looked like Gal or Gail Dornick was in there too and I wasn't sure exactly who the other people all were. Um but I mean um that initial trailer at least probably made me about as optimistic as as any trailer could have um but so then um i don't know so, anthony what do you think about that what did you think did you watch all the trailers uh before that were coming as they were coming out i did i uh
2: both because i was writing about the show for for techcrunch and also just cuz i was i was very curious and i i think that the trailers looked great and you could see the production value and you could already start to see some of the changes that they'd made, like the fact that um, Gail Dornick, who is uh, a, a man in the book, has been recast as a young woman of color. And you know, you could tell that just in general, the the universe was was more diverse than Asimov's was. But it was hard to tell how much of the core ideas would would survive the translation. So I, the the trailers made me very excited. But that nervousness didn't completely go away either,
3: when you say that you were writing about it for techCrunch, like what sort of things were you writing?
2: Uh, I mean mostly just that because there was so much curiosity about apple's streaming strategy, and when Foundation was first announced, they you know we knew that Apple was working on a quote unquote Netflix competitor, but it didn't even have a name yet they didn't we didn't know it was going to be called TV plus um, exactly what kinds of content it would include where it was sort of unclear, and so a lot of it was sort of just trying to see how this fit into Apple's broader streaming strategy while also kind of indulging the the fan part of my brain, which was just saying, "Hey, this looks really cool, I hope they don't screw this up
3: yeah, I mean that's my impression is that they really put a lot of money into this, and they really wanted this to be a major you know this this wasn't just part of their slate of offerings that this this was really sort of their attempt to. To make to make something that would entice people to sign up for Apple TV, you know, like to be their Game of Thrones or or like whatever. Um, exactly, yeah, that's my sense as well. Yeah. Um. So so Abby, so uh, so when you sit down to watch the first episode, kind of what were your initial impressions?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was really pleasantly. So, I mean, like you said, the production value was pretty amazing. Um, I thought they got really original with the artwork, with the 3D effects um you know i really hadn't seen anything like that before and i do like good eye candy and good special effects <laughs> so that hooks me right in i had a good original score of music um the acting was really good and so i was like okay you know i'm actually really digging this it doesn't you know i i think they're even making an attempt to kind of follow the book a little bit <laughs> um so i was kind of really <laughs> impressed yeah.
3: <laughs> when you when you say you'd never seen things like this before, like, are there any specific thing, like images or scenes or something?
1: Um, you know, the opening titles, um, and the, basically the 3D, um, holographic projections, the effects they did for that with the kind of sparkling, almost like it was like sand, um, you know, they got pretty creative with that. Usually a holographic about, production. You're
3: talking about the title sequence. It's, yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but they also used it throughout the series. I can't remember if it was in the first episode or not.
3: Uh-huh. But yeah, so yeah, so so in the title sequence there's these sort of um uh the, the image that sticks out to me is there the, there's this um emperor and so there's these kind of like you know, figures of the emperor stretching off into the distance and then yeah, they're like they seem to be made out of some sort of sand or something that's kind of blowing away. Yeah. And so yeah, it's sort of symbolic of this this crumbling empire dissolving to dust or slowly wasting away so so yeah i i I thought the title sequence was super cool yeah
1: yeah
3: uh so then how about john what were your initial impressions of that first episode well
4: production values were obviously they obviously sank a lot of money into it so i was i was um heartened by that but you know as it is with most science fiction it's really about the writing that that makes the issue and so it took me a while to to I mean, being an old old dude, has read you know Asimov so many years ago, uh, but then reread it. I I I was uh, you know paying attention to what things they were following, and I was wondering what they would not follow. And so it was very interesting to me uh, once we got into the story how how some things were taken from his work, and then others were completely invented. But I found I found the inventions really quite uh, interesting. Okay, uh, uh they added a depth to the story that I don't think was there.
3: Yeah. I mean I I'll, I'll say I had a really positive impression of that first episode. I mean, that's one of the one of the moments that sticks out to me the most from the book is that initial scene where Harry Saltan is kind of on trial before the Galactic Empire and he's accused of uh sedition or, or trying to undermine confidence in the in the empire and he says, you know, well, I've I've my, according to my psychohistorical projections this decline as inevitable and everything. And so I, I was really looking forward to seeing that. And I thought they did a really good job with that. I mean, um, and then they, they sort of made a change as far as I remember, which is that in the book, as far as I remember, the Gail Dornick character is basically just there as a witness. And they, they changed it so that she's sort of been, been brought to the empire because they're hoping that she's going to, uh, to uh, denounce Harry Seldon and, and disprove his theories. And so they they basically say, We're gonna kill you if you don't denounce Harry Selden. And all that was new as far as I remember. Um, I guess I'll say, uh if you didn't listen to our previous foundation panel, I, I only read the book once and it was about a year ago or more, so uh uh you know, I'm not probably No,
4: that was that was def- definitely added, and I was I was delighted that they uh switched uh, Gail to be a female character uh and uh um you know I, I all this stuff had more more complexity to it, I think than it that it had in the original Asimov stories yeah
3: yeah so that that first that first episode i was I, I really had a very positive impression of um but yeah it it becomes pretty clear pretty quickly that they're they're adding a lot of stuff and changing a lot of stuff um so 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 one of the big changes is that the emperor is a clone uh so so abby why don't you tell us about that what did you uh what did you think of this this clone emperor thing
1: uh, i thought it was a good idea you know i was like well you have a, a i didn't know yet that the story how they were going to show the story but um if you have a giant story spanning millenniums then you know, to have a clone you can have a lot of continuity so you, you know you could be I I was wondering if they were going to have them download the same memories into the clone um, and have it like almost be the exact same person again and again and again. Um, I thought it was a good change. I liked how they did it.
3: Yeah, I I actually, so, so, and this is not from the book at all, the, this whole, so, so the idea in the show is that the emperor is a succession of clones going back to Cleon the first. And so there are always three clones uh, alive at a time. So there's the one who's sort of, you know, in in the prime of his adulthood, who's the ruler, and then there's the the older one who serves as a as a wise advisor, and then there's the younger one who's being groomed t- to take over once he comes of age, and then when a new one is born, the old the older one uh, sort of ends his sort of ritually ends his life, and so there's always the three, and they 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 call themselves dawn and day and dusk, uh, depending on where in the in this cycle uh, they are. Um, so, so Anthony, what'd you think of this genetic dynasty
2: thing? I loved it. I thought it was probably the most, probably my favorite addition to the, you know, the, 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 my favorite element that the, the writers introduced for the show. Um, I thought all the performances were great. I thought the way they developed that idea across the whole season was really compelling. I mean, even at the beginning they have a lot of really nice touches where, for example, I, I just went back and rewatched the first episode and, you know, the way that each of the actors mimics the, and mirrors the behavior of the others is is really well done. And then over time, it feels like you see actually, cause it, it does feel like in, in a way, a kind of cinematic shortcut, cause it was a way, it's a way of like, great, we don't, we're gonna jump, we're gonna cover decades and eventually centuries, but we can still have, Lee Pace uh, and and other actors as the emperor the whole time but they it seems like they'd really thought through of like what some of the emotional implications would be what some of the logistical elements would be what some of the ritualistic elements would be um and and even uh and, and maybe this is getting a little bit too far ahead but I I I almost felt like the emperor storyline was more interesting than any of the Things that were more directly related to the Asimov material.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, that was, it was de- the Emperor storyline was definitely my favorite part of the show. Um, and um, yeah, even though it doesn't necessarily have a lot to do with with Asimov's ideas, but I mean, I, I think it it works really well, really well, and, and is natural enough that I think that if someone had no familiarity familiarity with the book that it wouldn't seem contrived to them at all. It would just seem like an organic part of the story. You know, it wouldn't occur to them like, oh, they did this so that they could have the same actor, you know, decade after decade.
4: I thought it was very clever in that it sort of killed two birds with one stone and that, yes, it it gave a continuity to the emperor. So you could have the same actors go over hundreds of years. Uh, But then also they used it to... What to justify or to rationalize the reason why the empire is becoming uh, stale, you know, it's becoming stagnant, uh, because it's sort of mortared into this, uh, the same uh, you know, he's called empire, okay, uh, throughout the whole thing. It's as if he were the personal embodiment of the empire. And if it never changes, then, then uh, you know, that that you could see how that could be a problem. And and uh, so that sort of dovetails into Asimov's idea of the
3: decline of the empire. Yeah. I don't know if I want to get into this now, but I, I sort of had mixed feelings about that specifically. Um i guess i'll I guess I'll just go, go into it now i mean i i sort of i feel like one of the things that um science fiction does is that it presents different ways that society could operate and makes us think about think about them and i I always dislike it, particularly with clones or something like that where where there's just just this sort of reflexive like oh they're bad it's that's not natural like the way things are is is better, let's not change anything. Um, and so I felt like this show fell into that a little bit where I I would have liked to see at least a little exploration of the idea. Um, is it good to clone yourself? You know, are there upsides, you know, like would people who were, you know, this, this tripartite clone family, uh, would they sort of have social support and, you know, feel, uh, at, at peace with themselves in a way that, that, that might make, make, what we think of as normal people, non-clones seem lonely and adrift or something. Um yeah, so I, I felt like the anti-clone thing was very just sort of reflexive and I would have liked to see it be a little more nuanced, but um
4: I, actually I I don't disagree with that. Uh you know, there can we talk about later episodes or is that something you want to avoid?
0: Um
3: uh, well, let's let's avoid the the sort of the young clone dilemma thing for the moment, but if there's anything else you want to, yeah. See, if there's anything I else, I was thinking you
0: want about to... that
4: episode where the the Empire goes to the religious planet and he undergoes this uh, ordeal to sort of prove his humanity, uh-huh. and, and and that ends with you know basically, I mean I don't like the idea really. The say say that a clone doesn't isn't really a human being or doesn't have a soul. It's like saying a, an identical twin doesn't have a soul. That's essentially yeah. what you're saying. Okay. It just, it's silly. And, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't buy that.
3: Yeah. So, so Abby, what do you, do you, what do you think about my idea of clone clone rights here?
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, they kind of dehumanized them a bit. And I agree about, um, yeah, saying he he doesn't have a soul because he's been cloned so many times. Um, on the other hand, I do like the idea of, they're steeped in this tradition. I thought it was more about their culture, their tradition that they never change this rigid, unchanging culture. um, And they're so cloistered away from the rest of humanity that they're not really part of the changing of whatever progress that's going on. Mm
3: -hmm. Well, I I guess that was sort of the other issue I had was that I felt like uh, it made it seem like the problem of the galactic empire was that they have these clone rulers and they're like bad rulers and um you know if they had different rulers things would be better and and the in- impression i had from the story which i thought was more interesting was just that this was more of a civilizational you know uh cultural decline you know that it's it, like like the kids are just spending too much time on their phones and it's like ruining everything you know it's not something that could be changed or that could be fixed by just replacing one emperor um and so like when when harry Seldon says uh you know the decline is inevitable uh you know there's going to be uh at least a thousand years of darkness no matter what happens it's not clear to me why the situation would be so dire if if so much of it stems from the particular individual who's leading like if if you if you if you if that's the whole problem it seems like that's kind of an easy fix so i thought there was a little bit of a uh a contradiction or something between this idea that 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 the that the civilization has declined versus like so much of the fault of it is because of these three people who happen to be at the top of the pyramid. Um.
2: But uh, uh, Anthony, what do you think about that? I agree. I mean, I do think that they gesture towards that a little bit in, in the initial episode, what Harry says is that, you can ex- he explicitly says you could actually stave off the collapse of the empire by a few centuries if you end the genetic dynasty but he, but it's still inevitable the, the empire will still fall so the the show is positioning it as not just the genetic dynasty but at the same I agree also that you don't really get a sense of what the other reasons would be if it's not the cloning and I think in general that's something the show struggles with and loses from the stories in the sense that it doesn't that in the stories fundamentally individual action doesn't matter that much it's all about these clashing socio historical forces and in the show it's really all about individual action and psychohistory becomes this kind of magic that can predict individual action um and, and in almost every case it it, it it really is about like a hero kind of coming in the, to save the day in a way that was predicted by psychohistory and so i think i mean i understand why they made that change if you make a show where you're just like yeah the hero doesn't matter individuals don't matter that is a both a bleak and perhaps not particularly dramatically interesting show but it it did feel like there was a real loss in that adaptation choice
3: yeah i was gonna try to stave off my my ranting uh, a little longer (laughs) than this (laughs) But, it but set I, you up perfectly. Yeah, I I guess I guess we might as well just get into it. Is is that yeah, like I said, I, I had a very positive initial impression of the show. I thought the first episode was good, and I thought the Genetic Dynasty idea was interesting. I thought it was really clever how they um, you know, found found ways to have the cast continue through time, you know, like one's a clone or like a succession of clones, one's an immortal robot, one kind of becomes a AI hologram, two of them sort of get frozen cryogenically and come back and and so i was like oh this is actually pretty clever i mean um but then the but then the big problem i had with the show really was that it didn't seem very asimovian to me in the sense that like like to to my mind asimov's whole appeal is that you sort of see smart people being rational and i'm kind of like if i wanted to see like hot people expressing strong emotions and doing cool athletic stuff i could watch anything on tv right i go to science and science fiction because i want to see nerds saving the universe with math right and i i feel like that just kind of got lost in this that that i i wanted to see smart people doing smart things and it just sort of started feeling very generic very i felt like i was watching like stargate atlantis or something there was just so much like mysticism and um, you know, so many like shootouts and stuff like that. Um, so, so as much as you know, I, I, I think they, they did actually preserve a lot of the lore from Foundation, but, but to me, it kind of missed the heart of the, the stories, which is the celebration of, 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 of the intellect. Um, so, so that's my, yeah, go ahead, John. Yeah.
4: That's, uh, one of the things actually that, that, disappointed me was uh, you know, psychohistory was a cool idea and uh and I was a physics major and and so to me it was thermodynamics. It was saying that you can't predict you know, no one can predict what one atom or one molecule is going to do. But if you have, you know, several billion of them or trillion of them in a in a box, you can. You have there are, uh, you know, the laws of the thermodynamics will predict exactly uh, what happens. And so I thought he was using that as an analogy for the number of people in the galaxy. Now there's trillions of people in the galaxy, and so Harry Seldon has this mathematical way of produ- predicting the future. And I thought that that was that's in the in the in the TV show. But then at the end. They sort of they bring in, which I don't think is in any of the books, the idea that you have certain characters who can foresee the future. Okay, like uh I think uh Salver Harden and 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 and, and Gail both. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's completely vitiating the power of the idea of the mathematics there. Of course, mathematics is not very sexy, so maybe that's why they did that, but but it sort of felt like it was it was again sort of going against the whole premise of the, of the um, psychohistory.
0: Yeah. Uh,
3: I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And, and so I, I just would have wanted to see more like, I don't know, like, like house of cards style, you know, cause like, like the stuff that really sticks out to my, in my memory from the, um, from the, fir- that first book is like where the, I think it's Alperhard and the, 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 the leader of the, or the mayor of the fed, uh, of the foundation, he sort of like implies to their, to the barbarian enemies that they have nuclear weapons when they don't really. And, um, they sort of like start this fake foundation religion that, that staves off one of the invasions and stuff like that. And so, so they're, they're being canny and clever and conniving and, uh, and, and they, they, they know that they, it's just this group of scientists. They know that they can't win militarily. And so they have to be to, to win through their intellect. And, um, and yeah, I just, I I just felt like the, the foundation people in the show never really did anything that, that smart, it seems to me, um but uh, but Abby, what do you think about that?
1: yeah, I mean, so, on the one hand, I mean, I totally agree that uh, yeah, the mathematics that like like having these suddenly psychic characters at the end doesn't really appear to go with um you know selden's mathematics, but on the other hand, I think they're trying to set up for the mule, I think they're setting up the mule for season two or something. And they want to set up the idea of random mutations, um, you know, throwing the mathematics into disarray.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah. So, so I mean, in, in fairness to the show, there is the idea of like paranormal mental abilities in the Foundation stories, right? So there's the Mule, who's who can sort of um, sort of telepathically dominate other people and and cause them to feel whatever he wants them to feel. And then I actually I still haven't read the third book, but my understanding is that in the third book uh there's the second foundation where they the there's sort of these foundation people who have sort of been training their mental abilities so um so so yeah it's not completely out of left field if you know if you know the source material but it um i think in the book there's only my understanding is there's basically only telepathy there's not any kind of precognition or predicting the future or anything like that um, right and the, m- <laughs>
1: yeah. the mule was the only one <laughs>
3: I think that that's correct. Not,
4: actually, I don't think the mule could predict the future. He could just control other people. Yeah. Um, so um, that that's the part of it that sort of disappointed me here. I mean, I wouldn't have minded if they had telepathy or even some kind of way of controlling other people's volition. Uh, but um, that that did seem like they were going off in a, in a tangent there. So but I have to say that that despite these these things, I thought that. um it was the, the empire part of the story I thought was really quite interesting and intriguing. I was drawn into it and, and, you know, and the, you had things like the downing of the space elevator, which is a tremendously spectacular moment, uh, which wasn't in Asimov's books, but, you know, I, I feel that visual science fiction has to give you that uh, sort of thing. Um, But the, the, all the stuff going on on terminus was less uh, engaging to me. Um, and uh, and and i wish that there had been more of a kind of a what the 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 foundation being uh, having to use a, a intellect and diplomacy to get around these other people who have armies okay and guns and things like that so um that that and also the idea that harry seldon shows up periodically and you know intervenes uh through his his predictive you know uh recordings that he made of himself uh, and I, I guess they sort of did that at the end with Ernie shows up, but um, it, it didn't seem like it was working quite the same way.
3: Yeah. Well, cause he seems to be de- sent. He seems to be sent like a sentient AI rather than a recording in, in the TV show. Right. Um, it was, it was funny, John, actually when the, when the terrorists destroy the space elevator. Uh, so yeah. So the, the the terrorists like blow up the space elevator and then it crashes down onto Transora, which is the city planet. And, you know, blasts out this trench you know like hundreds of miles long or something it was reminding me of when i when i interviewed you about the moon and the other and you said uh <laughs> you know at the end of the book that you had to have some big you know like disaster you know that, that if they <laughs> make it into a movie that that there would be some some big explosion stuff you've got
4: to have a scene where they have to do cgi okay yeah, yeah. if you don't have a scene <laughs> where they have to do
3: cgi then you have failed in your writing yeah uh, so <laughs> yeah so they definitely did that here and it was it was really spectacular and. And everything um I guess anthony since uh, since you are I think you know the books uh, the best of any of us, uh, do you want to comment on on any of things we were saying about the the tele- telepathic powers are we are we getting this all right
2: yeah i that is my understanding as well, and, and I would also add that to me, one of the other negative elements of that is that in the books when the mule is introduced, the whole idea is that he could not be predicted by psychohistory because he is a mutant. And and an individual. And the existence of just one mutant with this power is able to essentially fully or or almost entirely collapse the Selden plan and they basically have to spend an entire book and a half trying to put it back into place. And so the idea that you could have a whole bunch of different superpowered mutants running around the galaxy and the Selden plan and psychohistory still making any sense. The, that, that's I mean it, again we haven't really seen how they're going to execute on on the mule but it it doesn't seem like already like psychohistory starting to seem very very shaky and, and mystical and and in general I, I fully agree with with your rant about uh that, that it, it lost a lot of the things that made it that made the stories distinctly Asimovian and and I think they tried to make up for about that by sort of turning science and math. In, into this kind of like mantra that the characters repeat over and over, trust the math, trust the science, but there was no sense of actual rigor or process or, or anything. It was just like this kind of empty phrase. Um, and I, I, to me, I don't think that I had to just send, it was just something I had to get over to enjoy the show. I had to say, this is not the stories. I'm, and it is sort of strange because the first episode is a pretty close adaptation of the the first foundation story with a few elements added but after that it really kind of just goes in its own directions and so I could appreciate it for the things that it introduced the you know there were a lot of i think fun and interesting story elements but it was only distantly related to the stories and where it was related it felt like it really wasn't true to a lot of what I found interesting uh, about those stories. And so I had to really adjust my, my expectations in order to, to enjoy the, the show despite that. I would say that one ex- uh, exception where they did invent something, but it felt very true to Asimov was when you, we see Gail's childhood on Synax and you see this planet kind of descend, like, you know, descending into um, ignorance due to this like very oppressive religion while the oceans are rising. Um, none of that... And, and then you see this one person like clinging, you know, discovering math and science and, and and clinging to that and having her kind of use that to escape. Like none of that's in the foundation books, but that felt like very much in the spirit of Asimov. And I would have loved to see more elements like that.
3: Yeah, I mean, that, that seemed very Asimovian, but then the treatment of religion elsewhere didn't. Because cause Asimov, you know, has a very scientific, rationalist, atheistic point of view. Um, but then in the show, there's this, you know, that John was mentioning, there's this, this religion of like the maiden mother and crone. And then the, uh, there's the implication that the emperor doesn't have a soul. And, uh, there's the robot, um, what's, what De- Dem, Demerzel, um, who, right. who seems to subscribe to this religion. Like all, all that stuff, it just, yeah, like it, it seemed very un Asimov to me, like how, um, yeah, how not how not scientific and rational,
2: the universe that the story is set in seems to be. Some of that I liked in the sense that I think that because Asimov was such a committed atheist, it, it was sometimes harder for him. To, I mean, in general, I think world building is not necessarily his strong suit. And so the show improves on that in a number of ways that the, the galaxy just feels richer and stranger. And, and one element of that that I'm fine with is that you have a much stronger sense of what the different religions are and the roles that they play in people's lives but certainly that scene that you and John are talking about where you know you get there's a very strong implication that the emperor has no soul because he's a clone um a I don't think Asimov would believe that clones are less human than us and also Asimov definitely didn't believe in the idea of souls so it would be a moot question
3: yeah I mean a- Abby what did you what did you make of that that whole the way religion and mysticism is presented in this in this universe
1: yeah, I do agree that that's that felt very anti-Asimov. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was interesting, but I felt like it makes the world building a little more shaky. Um, I'm, I'm a, to me, I'm a little bit less interested in where it's going because if it's mysticism, it's sort of like anything goes. It leeches the tension out of a story.
3: Hmm.
0: Well, so so I mentioned.
1: Oh, go ahead,
0: John.
4: Well, uh, you know, I think that I like the idea that there would be religion, more than one religion and people through the galaxy would have these beliefs. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the fact that there is apparently some mystical truth to the beliefs, that's the part that that makes it a little woo-woo. Uh, yeah. You know, in other words, as a, as a human phenomenon, religion is, is always with us. Okay. Uh, maybe, I don't know that, you know, about 10,000 years in the future, whether people will be without religion, but I, I suspect that at least some people will still be very much engaged with religion. So um, so that didn't bother me. In other words, that, that the existence of religion and it being powerful and it having effects on political disputes and things like that. Um, but but uh, the idea that, you know, well, yeah, uh, we just did a test on the emperor and we see that he doesn't have soul. It's like, yeah, Asimov would not have... Spend any time on that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm mean, that's I, I, I like the idea that uh, of of that. There's like, you know, that religion that it, it tackles religion, and there's different religions and everything. And I don't even mind that religion is true or ambiguously true in a story in general or a science fiction story in general. It's just specifically in this story, this Asimov story, that that, that seems totally at odds with how he would, how he did, and would write it. Um, but um, and and, and so so even just beyond that though i feel like it just makes a lot of the conversations kind of boring because because like i mean we'll get to i, sh- I guess we should get to Salvor Hardin, who's sort of the kind of the nominally the main character in this series um or i guess i don't know i mean I mean, they're sort of the emperor there's salver Hardin and gail dornick i guess are all are kind of the three but salver harden is, is certainly a main character but I just found so many of the the conversations that she had so dull because they, they just seem to be like, like so much of it was just like, what do I do? Oh, I, I I'm you're spe- no salary. You're special. You, you know, you're, you're part of the plan. Like, you know, like it's all going to work out or like, you know, you're, you, and, and then she can like flip coins and predict how they're going to go and stuff. And it's just like, I, I just feel like whatever, I mean, I just prefer scientific rational stuff uh just in in general but but just just on a purely storytelling level it, it seemed to like take away so much of the interesting choices from from her or like interesting things that she would otherwise talk about when so much of it is just is is just the stuff about like am i special like what is my destiny uh et cetera. um so there's a an interesting thing that's taken from the
4: Asimov books that is in the show, but it's changed. And that's that uh, uh, Salva Hardin in one of the stories says that uh, when they're dealing with the other uh, nearby planets that are violent uh, and threatening uh, the, uh, the foundation, he says that uh, a violence is the last refuge of the incompetent. And that sounds very much like Asimov. But then in the in the show, what happens is it's it's Salva father wow. who says violence is the uh, exactly exactly that violence is the last refuge of the incompetent. And she replies that, well, that's just an old man's way of thinking. OK, <laughs> and uh, I thought that was really sort of telling in a way that 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 cuz we're going to have some violence in in the show and, and again i don't necessarily object to that uh uh i i uh i just uh you know takes it in a direction that that um you know i hope is not just all uh a uh, thought and blunder as uh, people have said uh, about <laughs> space opera
3: yeah well i, I saw apparently the showrunner sh- somebody said like oh well the the Hardin, hard and you're you're picking up the story earlier than the character in the in the, in the books and with the implication that she's going to grow into the sort of smooth political operator, you know, wise and less um, impetuous and impulsive and everything. Um, which, okay. I mean, I I hope that happens, but it it still doesn't, didn't make a lot of the scenes that she has in this season, any, any less tedious to me. Um, but I don't know if maybe, maybe other people liked that storyline more than I did. Um, but, I, I liked know.
2: the the fact that the, some of the elements they introduced, like the, I I'm, I think I'm I hope I'm not getting the planets introduced. I think it was Anacreon that was like bombarded, and then survivors of Anacreon like come to the foundation, like looking to scavenge, and then like capture this like important ship, and um, and I thought like again, again none of that really comes at all from from the books, but that was an interesting. Th- there were elements of an interesting story there, but but Salver herself, I agree, was not interesting and and again because regardless of who she becomes it's also just the sense that she's being put into this chosen one narrative which a is un and b just feels like we've seen it many times before
3: yeah um what so So. so okay so we, we've got we mentioned we've got cleon gail Oh, i'll say like so the one scene probably my favorite scene in the whole show was there's this scene with with Gail Dornick where she's on this spaceship and it's heading for some destination and the AI has been programmed not to tell her where they're going. And so she has to like use math and science and question the ship to see what information she can get and and sort of try to figure out where they're going and, and ultimately, you know, puts on a space spacesuit and goes out to the exterior of the ship so that she can see the sky without the, the AI futzing with its uh you know view screens and stuff like that. And, and that was my favorite scene in the whole show. Cause that's like what I want out of the science fiction show is like smart people doing smart stuff and solving problems. And, uh, you know, and so I just, I just wish there'd been a lot more of that, um, in this season. Um, cause that was really, that was really compelling and that was really well done. Um, so I don't know, a- Abby, do you agree with that? Was, did you like that scene or?
1: I did like that? that scene. Yeah. And I a hundred percent agree a hundred percent with what all of you were saying, you know, like intellectual conflict was kind of lacking. <laughs> and yeah. that's what I want to it, say.
4: It isn't. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: No, 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 go ahead
4: uh i was thinking that, that in the books there is a situation that happens as it the, the situation evolves that uh you know as the empire fades and it loses control over the periphery of the of the galaxy these uh, individual little uh you know empires break out that are then in, in conflict with one another and also in conflict with the empire and also trying to conquer uh you know the the foundation and so the one of the plot drivers in the books is that the foundation having no army has to somehow negotiate between all these people and play them off against one another and sort of use them and use its own uh you know control of technology to to manipulate the situation uh so that they'll survive uh and and be there to uh you know take over as the galactic empire fails and and so i think that's still in the series but they're doing it more in terms of like military so that The foundation people are are somehow going to be working with the Anacreons or whatever uh, to get the spaceship that somehow is going to be a factor in in uh, you know their 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 relationship with the with the uh, empire as it recedes and and so that that in other words the positioning of the foundation is sort of similar but it's not done in terms of you know diplomacy and and uh, Uh, dirty tricks (laughs) Uh, it's done more in terms of of military uh, uh, force
3: yeah I I guess I just wonder what their like long term plan is and maybe you know maybe they felt like they needed like more action and more younger impetuous characters and stuff in season one to kind of get people interested and then more of the politics and you know uh, yeah like uh, conniving and Uh, and all that stuff will come more in season two i mean because like uh because we're at the by the end of season one we're up to like harry selton has has made basically his first appearance as a as a recording um i don't know if that i think that might correspond more to his second appearance in the book I'm, i'm not maybe anthony would know this better than better than i do but um anthony what do you think about think about this idea that um we're actually not that far like this this season has not actually taken us that far along the timeline of the books and so the stuff that we're kind of expecting from the books might come in season two
2: well i like it as an adaptation choice in the sense of like we, we were talking earlier about this question like oh my gosh are they're going to be a different cast for each episode and so the idea that you really sort of deal with one selden crisis per season allows you to to have a lot more continuity. Um and and so the fact that we're like not very far into the books, I think was was very smart. Um but at the same time I am skeptical that the it, it the show in so many ways just seems so fundamentally un and and not just not that interested in a lot of the things that that at least that he was in with the foundation stories. And so I don't have a lot of confidence that that they're going to start exploring that stuff more carefully in, in later seasons. I, I feel like the story will evolve, but, but tonally uh, philosophically, it, it feels pretty clear what kind of show they want it to be. And, and I, I guess it, maybe I'm just shielding myself from further disappointment. I don't want really to <laughs> go into season two being like, yes, this is the one where they're really going to be closer to the books. So I think I, I feel much more comfortable saying, except that, they're using some of the iconography of the books, some of the ideas of the books, but they're telling their own story and if it intersect you know intersects with Asimov at some point, that'll be fun and interesting, but don't expect any of that
4: yeah, it's funny what you describe Anthony is really my reaction to the Man in the High castle, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, I know we did a show about that uh because I value that novel immensely, and the fact that the t v show basically throws most of it away really uh made it hard for me. I kept waiting. I said, well, a second season they're going to pull it back, you know, and and then the second <laughs> season they did. And, and so I stopped watching it. And and uh, the difference here is that I don't you know, sort of revere the Foundation trilogy as much as I do Philip K Dick. And so, uh, uh in a way I'm willing to let them, okay, you're not going to do Asimov and maybe you shouldn't, maybe you couldn't And a, as a TV show. So then what but whatever you do make it interesting and thought provoking and not, not dumb. All right. And so I'm willing to let them go that way. Uh, although it, it, you know, I would like to see some Asimovian moments. Uh, I certainly want to see the mule as a character uh, and his, his engagement with the whole situation uh, come up. Uh, I saw that as Goyer said in an interview, that he thought that they could do 80 episodes of this to tell the whole right. story, 80 episodes. That's eight seasons. I don't think so.
3: You know, I I, I don't know. You know, <laughs> uh. well, that would well, be re- impressive. Well, I mean, because I, I have the sense that this is not super popular. So, I mean, it has been renewed for a second season, but I I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't count on it going to eight. I wouldn't count on it going to three, let alone eight. Uh, is my because I I don't know. I I haven't heard that many people talking about it or or whatever. Um, I mean, Abby, have you, what's your impression of like how, have you heard people talking about this show or what's your
1: impression? No, I mean, I a hundred percent agree. It's, it's not being talked about, but maybe that's just because it's on Apple plus because maybe not that many people are subscribing.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, that's definitely a fair point. So yeah, I mean, it might be that, that it, you know, it keeps going even if, um, not that many people are watching it because just not not that many people are watching anything else on Apple plus. So,
2: but I don't know. I, I just... Something. This Although if ex- you you contrast it with um how many people are talking with Ted Lasso, which probably costs a tiny fraction that uh, Foundation does, then I, I feel less optimistic about oh. eight seasons. Yeah,
3: but I mean, it, it might have been. Um, yeah, the, the the plan. Apparently, I hadn't actually heard that, but yeah. If if the if the plan was in, was for this to go to eight seasons, that might explain why so little of the of the book is in season one, and it, it might have been a better plan. to – you know, plan this for two or three seasons and, you
2: know, not have to uh,
3: invent so much stuff to fill up all those episodes.
2: Although the invention is, again, a lot of what I liked. I mean, it, that's part of what I feel torn about is that I I wish they'd used more from Asimov, but also when, in a lot of times when they were inventing things from whole cloth, I really enjoyed it. When it was like, we took something from Asimov and then treated it in this completely un-Asimovian way, then I was getting annoyed.
3: Well... I mean, I, I, as I said, I, I think I liked the Emperor storyline. I feel like that could almost just be its own show. Um, but what did you what did you like that was not the Emperor storyline?
2: I guess it was it was mainly the Emperor storyline. Okay, um, and again, I thought some of the backstory about Anacreon. Uh, although to your point, I also I, or to I, I, I feels like half the cast, no one on the cast agrees on how to pronounce Anacreon or. <laughs> yeah and, uh, and yeah but yeah or who knows yeah just, just it, and i like <laughs> some of Gale's storyline although it it definitely i i didn't love all of it but but the the, the there were elements of it that i found pretty interesting
3: uh well, well i guess let's just talk about the emperor storyline since that's <laughs> that that seems to be the part <laughs> we like we like the best even though it has nothing to do with really psychohistory or, or anything but um, um because because yes yeah, so so what happens is that it turns out that I don't know should I get into this now so, I mean so 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 basically uh I don't know how soon how early this comes in I forget but maybe 3 or 4 episodes in uh we we find out that the young um the young emperor the don is suicidal and it eventually comes out that he he knows that he's not actually a perfect clo- something has gone wrong with his cloning process and um and he knows that he's not a perfect clone of the other of, you know the older versions and as soon as this is discovered they're gonna kill him and so he's very uh upset about this so so abby you want to talk about what did you think of that story did that uh did that grab you
1: that really grabbed me yeah and i was losing interest as you guys all said in the terminus storyline so that kind of kept me going for the last three or four episodes of the season um mm. Yeah, I was interested. I mean, I, you know, because you feel sorry for me. He's like one of the only characters I felt – I felt like I wanted to root for him. You know, I was like, well, he's stuck in this weird, oppressive culture, in this weird, oppressive palace, in a dying empire, um, with his brothers, you know, his clone brothers, possibly ready to kill him. Um.
4: <laughs> yeah, and he also right, doesn't – the woman he falls in love with is pretty clearly trying to use that uh, to manipulate him. Okay. Uh, yeah. Or at least you think you wonder whether that's indeed what she's doing. So that, that story was pretty interesting. And then it, the way it culminated, I thought was quite, uh, you know, one of the most dramatic moments of the whole season.
3: Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so, 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 spoiler warning, I guess we haven't even really talked about Demer's which we're going to have to talk about to get into the, the climax there, but, uh, so, th- so, 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 yeah. So the Emperor has this advisor named Demerzel, who's this immortal robot who's been around since the, at least since the, the reign of Cleon the first, uh, you know, the, the guy who, who they're all clones of. Um, and we don't know a ton about her, really. Um, she's not from either of the books I've read, but apparently she's from some of the other books. Anthony, do you want to, you want to fill us in on yes. this?
2: Yes. I I can fill you in. This is a bit of a spoiler for the, for the books, if that's okay. Uh, okay, spoiler for the books. Anthony, okay, so it. so what is revealed ultimately is that um, uh, yes, there the in the in the prequel novels there is a uh, an advisor character of the emperor called Demerzel, who you ultimately discover is actually our Daniel Oliva. The um, robot detective from Asimov's early robot novels, and he's survived for you know thousands of years, secretly shaping human history. Um, and so that's who that character is. Although, I mean, I I don't think that's exactly what the show's character is supposed to be, but but that's the origin.
3: Interesting. Yeah. Apparently, just to, just my in my research. Uh, apparently, they can't use the word the name uh, Ardeniel Oliva because that's part of the iRobot ip um so so even if they wanted to they couldn't mention you know they couldn't mention that um right. but uh but so what did you think of what what do yeah, what, what do you think of this demmerzell character is that sort of is she consistent with the books as you uh understand them or
2: is this sort of a, a departure as well um i i mean she, she's definitely a very compelling character on her own terms. It, it's hard to sort of exactly square her up with my understanding of how robots work in Asimov's robot novels. Cause there's the whole like three laws of robotics. Um, although part of, and I don't think they get into too much detail in, in the later foundation books about this, but at this point um, Demersel slash Daniel's, Understanding of the laws of robotics has become like much more sophisticated and driven by, uh, like the zeroth law, so that you can sort of justify anything as long as it's serving the broader purposes of humanity. And so, even though, um, Demersil, you know, certainly <laughs> kills somebody, um, and, and also in other ways seems yeah. to operate a couple, with a great couple deal, people, right, and, and operate with independence from, um, uh, from, from like, you know, like not, not really like needing people's orders and things like that. Um, so, but, but I think you could actually argue that, that she's, that's still consistent with, um, how, you know, that the, the, this, this ancient robot who's had, you know, thousands of years to think about how best to serve humanity would be in a lot of ways, pretty mysterious and pretty ruthless. Um, I definitely want to see more of Demersla because I I feel like I don't necessarily have a great sense of her yet. Or, I mean, I feel like there's like lots of tantalizing hints, but I I couldn't describe her comprehensively. Um, She, and then I think you alluded to earlier, she also is a member of this religion. And I mean, actually like a very devout member and um, that, that you get the sense that her loyalty to the religion is the one thing that supersedes her loyalty to empire and I did find that very interesting. Um, even if you use I mean, I I I liked it in this, and again, this is very un but like getting at this idea that you would think that this perfectly logical robot would just see any kind of religious f- faith as fundamentally a sham. But like the idea that a robot could could still find value in this, I find very compelling um and interesting, even if Again, I, I don't think Asimov would, would do that. Or I think they – because he does have a story in iRobot where a robot finds religion, but that robot is treated as, as fundamentally delusional, whereas that's not the case here.
3: Yeah. Um, all right, so I want to get back to John. So, John, you want to talk about the the climax of, of the story and why you liked it so much?
4: Well, uh, you know, it, it, I mean, I guess it's sort of like, a, you know – a Game of Thrones kind of thing where a character is, 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 uh, thinks that, uh, he's in control of a situation or is trying to escape from a dire situation and, and has allies. And then in the end, it turns out he's been completely, um, you know, <laughs> uh, manipulated and also, uh, you know, he has had, had no freedom. And so that, that, I think, you know, the, the thing with the, uh, the, the clone emperor, um, it's it's very much a uh, uh, an image of um, kind of ultimate autocrat and, uh, lasting over centuries, and so that really uh, is borne out there by what happens to the youngest of the three uh, when he tries to, uh, you know.
3: Yeah. Well, elim- yep. you know. well, Let me just explain. Yes, yeah. so, so, so 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 yeah. There's this young clone emperor, and he knows he's going to be killed if his secret is discovered. And so this, this woman who works at the palace, um, pretends to be in love with him and, and sort of sneaks him out of the palace. But then it turns out that she's part of this resistance movement and there's this other, uh, illegal clone of him that they've made and they're planning to have the illegal clone who's, who's part of the resistance impersonate the, um, the young clone and, uh, and sort of infiltrate the, the, the imperial court. Uh, it didn't seem that didn't seem to make any sense to me at that point in the story, <laughs> since he's like on the run, and they know he's he's de- he's a defective clone and, and everything. I, I I didn't understand how their plot was going to work at that point at all. I don't know if anyone if that made any more sense to anyone else than it did. If I'm missing something, or oh,
4: you mean uh, uh why would they let him escape to that degree? I
3: mean, they, uh, um. No, no. Why yeah. would the resistance think at at that point that they could just like have their clone waltz back into the palace and not just be killed? Yeah, I wondered
1: I, that too. I mean, I don't think you're supposed to think too hard about it.
3: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, but so so those quibbles aside, um, so, so so then um, he, uh, it turns out that he's being. There's a lot of like twist to this story, but it, so it turns out that this young clone is being has been tracked by the sort of intelligence services from the palace and they let him go so that he could lead them to the resistance. And now they've captured all the resistance people. Um, and so now he's been cap- recaptured and taken back to the palace. But by this point, the the day clone has had this sort of religious experience and has discovered new found empathy, sort of new found reserves of empathy and decides to spare him. But then Demersel or Demersal, I prefer Dem- I' Demerzel, myself, uh, kills him. Um, uh, so, Abby, what did you think of all those, all those crazy twists?
1: I was really engaged. Um, I, of course, was disappointed at the end the way he was just killed. So sad.
3: <laughs> you you know, and to, you wanted him to keep, keep living?
1: Yeah, I thought he would have been a good character for the next season. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: yeah. I, I, you know, I
1: don't,
4: I didn't quite get why Demerzel killed him, okay? It just didn't seem, uh, I don't know. Uh uh you know one of the things that um uh, you mentioned that the uh brother day uh, um evol- evolving some empathy well, but in, when he catches the uh, the rebel woman, uh, he basically says, "I'm going to destroy every person who's ever had contact with you in your entire
3: life." that so was, that, that was you know, pretty badass. That was pretty badass. I like that. <laughs> that was very uh, you
4: know that was that to me was the image of an ultimate kind of insane aut- autocrat. Okay, not not anyone who has any sense of uh i mean you think about it the the emperor is supposed to be supposedly ruling for the for the benefit of the entire galaxy but uh you know in this particular instance anyway he he's uh you know completely impervious to any any humane uh emotions so um uh you know that that i guess you know one of the things I liked about the Emperor story is that there were moments where you felt like, okay, well, these are regular people here, okay, who are are you know stuck in a system themselves that they're brought up in, and they're struggling to uh, you know do the things they're supposed to do, but but also uh, are moved by uh, impulses of power, and so that it's not all black and all white, but it seems to be going pretty much all black by the end of the season.
3: <laughs> well, but but he he, he clearly has like. Uh, experience walking this salt spiral thing has made him somehow more has changed. Cause, cause before he did that, obviously he would have just executed the young clone instantly, it seems. Right. Right. So like, I mean, yeah, obviously he's, he's developed some sort of empathy, maybe just to versions of himself or something, but um, he, he but he's, he's undergone self-love. some kind of change. Yeah.
1: He learned self love. And yeah. by <laughs> self love, we mean <laughs> clones. Yeah.
2: Well, he also his cha- he's different from the from Dusk because there's also this whole debate where originally um Dusk is the one who's going to go quell this, you know, religious debate that that is like undermining their their dynasty and and then Day steps in and says, "No, no, no, I'm going to like cuz I guess traditionally Day stays on Trantor and Dusk, the, the older brother, the oldest brother is the one who is dispatched for diplomacy, skullduggery, things like that. Um, but there, there's a sense that, that Day is already somewhat different from, from the, from the days, from the Cleons before him. Perhaps also because he is, um, a bit disillusioned by seeing the fallout from some of the earlier events of the show where the, the Day were introduced to at the beginning of the show. Um, Respond so brutally to um, the, the collapse of, of the uh, space elevator that they're still dealing with with fallout from that, and and so there's a sense that that does, that. I'm sorry, Day says, "Hey, the way we've been doing things before isn't working. We need to change things up."
3: Right. There's also this additional crazy twist where it turns out that the resistance has somehow contaminated the DNA of the <laughs> the emperor, the original on the first that they have sort of frozen in the basement and so all of them um are are, are now cont- are, are no no are not actually perfect clones uh of him so i mean i guess it's possible that 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 this day might have a slightly different personality because of that um but, um, but yeah, but let's come back though to the, to, so why does Demerzel kill the young clone? I mean, she says after she does it, she says something like, uh, I'm loyal to Empire. And I had the impression that she has some sort of directive given to her by Cleon the first to protect his lineage that she can't supersede. So I don't know. Does everyone buy that or is there, was there more going on there?
2: My sense was that it, it was also just because it was like the first real schism we've seen between day and dusk. And that, you know, the part of the whole idea of the Empire is that we are one person in three bodies. And so if you have like uh, the, the two adult Cleons really fundamentally feuding over this this huge topic like that could tear the Empire apart. And so if she's like, I'm gonna just end this dis- debate right now and just nip this in the bud.
3: I guess there's there also might be the implication that she like she was not happy that he made her kill the um uh the priestess or whatever. Um was it Huima or something? The um and so maybe I don't know th- there was a, maybe a slight implication that this was like her revenge. Um that you know, you kill Tobiya, so I'm going to kill this this young clone that you're now so attached to.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Demersel's behavior is it remains kind of very mysterious in a way that that feels very intentional as opposed to just confusing, at least to me.
3: Yeah, yeah. Like, why'd she rip her face off? Very,
0: <laughs> very, very mysterious. <laughs> That's just a classic well, I... robot move, you
2: know. <laughs> yeah, because she's a robot. She Every... like,
0: like...
3: Go, go ahead, John.
4: The way she holds herself all the time, it looks like she has stomach cramps. It doesn't look very happy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I actually thought that was kind of cool the way she always she always has her arms sort of at a forty her elbows at a forty five degree angle and her hands held over her her stomach sort of yeah it is that is. I I I thought all I thought she was I thought all the actors in this were actually great. I mean, um, you know, uh some of them I wish they had better material to work with, but uh like like I, I thought like the actress did a great job with that. I mean, I think she does a really good job playing a, a sort of inscrutable robot woman. Um Okay, we're coming up a little bit on time here. So, Abby, is there anything else uh, anything else about the show, any other topics that you uh wanted to
0: talk about?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I just, yeah. I mean, I'm. I guess like we could just say like, I'll probably watch the second season. Or I'll probably like give it a chance, but I'm not fully engaged. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, 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 John Kessel, how are you feeling right now about season two? Um, I'm, I'm sort of with, with Abby on this. I,
4: I, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll probably watch it, but it's not really drawn me in the way some other. Series have done, and um, you know, I'm I guess it's hard to put my finger exactly on it. it Seems like there's a lot of uh, you know, what a lot of plot going on, okay, that that it's sort of seems sort of arbitrary at times. Um, and uh, I'm not engaged as much with the characters as I might be, especially the ones on, on, on Terminus, uh, that whole thing, so um, that that's a, um, you know, it's not just, it's just not drawn me in. Although again, it's, it's, it's well-made, but, but it's not, uh, it's not really got the kind of a, 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 um, what human engagement that, that really would, would pull me in.
2: Yeah. Um, Anthony, how are you, how are you feeling about season two? Uh, I feel sort of similar in the sense that it's, I mean, I think if it was on, on Netflix or Hulu or one of the other services that I subscribe to regularly, um, I would probably make time for it just because I'm, I'm curious about where it goes and it's, and it's well made enough that, that I would continue. Uh, the fact that I don't regularly subscribe to Apple TV plus and I did specifically to, to watch the show. Um, would I do that again? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I, I do think that the, sort of the revelations in the final episode about Gail being Salver, I'm sorry, Salver being Gail's daughter. And then like the time jump, um, they they did make me a bit more interested in, in where the show is going, but, or at least they surprised me, but, but yeah, I, I can't say that I'm, I will probably watch it, but I, I it's not something that I'm like eagerly waiting until they, the, you know, the second season comes out.
4: You know, one of the basic things about plotting is that you have things that are looked forward to, as well as things that happen in the past that lead up to where you are now. And I don't have a good sense of where we're looking forward to. Uh, it seems to me that that you know I, there aren't particular expectations unless you've read the books. Of, of if you just watched the series and got to the end of the first season, what what are you looking forward to here? Okay, uh, we jumped forward 130 years, and I, I'm not sure that there's any kind of expectations okay uh left there and i think that that may be an issue
3: yeah that, yeah that, that's an interesting i mean like so the only way i'm optimistic is if you know like i said like they, they sort of felt like they wanted to do something a little more actiony a little more you know a little more traditional for season one um and then now that salvor and um gail are kind of reunited on. I think, uh, and I assume they'll go to, back to Terminus um, and, you know, leave the foundation or something that, that maybe we'll have more stories that involve more, yeah, like the challenges of leadership and, um, you know, political maneuvering and uh, and stuff like that. Um, and then obviously, you know, there's the mule coming in, which we all, in our last um, panel, we all said, you know, that's the best part of the story. So, uh, so that could liven things up um, if that happens. So those are the kind of two things I'm, I'm holding on to for uh, for for liking the series more, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I just you know, and I feel I feel bad being so like sort of blah about the series. Like when I you know I, I gave a a more positive review last week to uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife than I'm giving to this. I feel like, but <laughs> I just like yeah, I, I just I really wanted some something. I mean, it's because the yeah the production. Values are so high, and the visuals are so great, and the cast is so talented, and um, and I just wanted something Asimovian, and it just doesn't feel that Asimovian to me. Um, so that's that's kind of a bummer. Um, also, actually, this was interesting because I just went back and listened to our last panel, and, um, and Anthony, you had this quote where you said, um, uh, Samuel R. Delaney says that one reason that Foundation has never been adapted for film or TV is because it would instantly turn every kid into a Marxist. So, <laughs> so I don't maybe know. That if that would have happened. Now that this has been adapted for TV, has every kid instantly turned into a Marxist? Because I, I might have I missed that. But,
2: if it had been more faithful and more people, more kids had watched it, maybe that would have worked. Um, but, but sadly, we, we will know, at least for now, we, we won't know because it's not a, <laughs> not a particularly faithful adaptation.
3: Yeah. I, I, I feel like that just really says a lot about just the chasm between how much about ideas the book is versus how much not about ideas this show is. Because I don't feel like this is gonna like affect anyone's thinking or <laughs> about anything really in any way. Um and, you know, yeah, like a foundation series should affect so that should be what one of its the primary things is it does, it is it makes you think and yeah, I don't know if this is really going to make anyone think about anything.
1: If they had kept that young Dawn Emperor alive at the end of it, I think more people might be engaged into season two because they'd be re- having someone to root for.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is funny. It is sort of interesting, again, that the the part of the show we all like the most is the thing that has nothing to do. I, I guess, yeah, maybe the, the people working on the show are, you know are better at sort of coming up with their own stories than adapting Asimov's, which again, I mean, to be fair is we all knew going in was a, a hugely difficult thing to adapt uh, faithfully. And especially I, I I wonder with a lot of these things, like, you know, a lot of times I get so angry at the writers and then I find out later that there was all sorts of studio pressure and interference and notes and stuff. And that the, the writers were really doing their best to keep it faithful to the books and just, you know, Like there's like a hundred different people who all offer suggestions and, you know, by the time it goes through all those people, there's just not much left of, of whatever you were trying to do in the first place. And I don't know, there might've been some
0: of that going on here. I don't know.
2: Yeah. It's Um, not something I'm I'm angry about or anything or, or that I, you know, feel like they've betrayed Asimov. It's more just a sense of, Oh, probably there was no way you were going to do a particularly faithful adaptation of, foundation and whether how much of that was a creative decision from the outset and how much of that was imposed by Apple. I don't know, but that, you know, I think part of the process of watching the show is, is making peace with that idea. Um, I I do wish that it does feel sometimes a little disingenuous when Apple and, and Goyer have like gone out and talked about how, you know, how much they revere Asimov and things like that. And I'm kind of like, well, that's kind of like setting people up for some disappointment. But um, yeah, I think I just had to sort of accept that this was a completely different thing. But to your guys' point, it's, I think there are elements of this new thing that are very interesting and then other elements of it that I'm kind of like, meh, it's it's not that great.
3: Yeah, and, and Asimov's daughter, Robin Asimov, is listed as a producer. I don't know what sort of involvement she had, but yeah, I mean, they, they did at least seem to sort of be making some sort of effort in in the direction of, you know, paying tribute to him.
2: Right. Oh, and the, the other thing I would say about that is I was, cause I was going to say that I'm even though, um, you know, I'm, I'm I am certainly very hopeful that people, this will just bring more attention to the books, which I, I love so much. Um, I, I am worried a little bit because I was talking to a friend who has not read the books, but has seen the show and she was actually really liked a lot of the show and was excited to see how they translate, how where they came from in the books and everything she liked in the show. I was like, Oh, that's not in the books. That's not in the <laughs> books. That's not in the books. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, I, I mean, I could see, you know, yeah, I, I I could definitely see if you have no ex- if you haven't read the books and you have no particular expectations going into this, you might just be like, ah, oh, this is, you know, it's a pretty good science fiction show, you know, the special effects are good. The cast is good. There's some interesting ideas, you know, it's, it's just, you know uh, it's just sort of maybe a will let down, you know, for us, but yeah, maybe it's possible that other people might, might like it more. I mean, like, I think it's like 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's not, you know, it hasn't been panned. I mean, it's sort of, you know, sort of average, average response. It seems like for most people.
4: It's not getting the big uh, Game of Thrones reaction. Although Game of Thrones I thought might have taken a few years to get get to that point. So,
1: I don't know. <laughs> oh, that to me that was like, you know, you went from <laughs> 10 to 0, -10. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: so yeah, I don't know. I think I think we, I think we pretty much covered it. Um, so yeah, let's uh, I guess let's get into some final thoughts. So, so Abby, any other anything else? Any final thoughts here at the end?
1: Um, I'll just say, like, I agree that the production value was really outstanding. Um, you know, the artwork, the sc- the score of the music, um, all of that was just like so much time and effort and craft went into this. It's hard to watch it wasted on like kind of a little bit weak storytelling. Which I agree, you know, intellectually it wasn't very stimulating. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard sometimes to see that if you're somebody that cares about story.
3: Yeah, I guess I will say again, I did really enjoy the first episode. So maybe I would just say, you know, at least watch the first episode. It's a, uh, it's a really quite good, I thought adaptation of, uh, you know, that first, uh, story in the foundation book. So, um, uh, do you agree with that? Would you recommend people watch the first episode?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think, I I really think they did try their best. To me, like I think that if if somebody asked me to adapt the the foundation, the first foundation book, that's a hard thing to ask. I mean, to make it like palatable to the masses, basically, you know, because it had so little action. Um, it's all talking heads, and that doesn't play well to you know a mass audience. So I, I expected, you know, you needed you needed to add some action. Just you need characters to root for if you're going to do that.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh, John, final thoughts. Well, uh, you know, I think it was a a tough
4: thing to try to adapt. And um, I, I, you know, I think that they've done some things really quite well, but um, you know, it doesn't have the kind of, I don't know. I think Asimov doesn't really provide, you know, the, the kind of uh, adventure story that I think that, the people think of when they think of a galactic empire story. So, um, you know, I think that, that, that it's a little disappointing. It's funny. I, I think about, well, what, where's the, the adaptation of, Alfred Bester's the star is my destination. Okay. That, that's, that one, you know, starts off like a rocket. Okay. (laughs) So to speak. And, and uh, you know, there, there are other, no, I I like the idea that they're, they're investing in classic works of science fiction. Okay. Too often they just ignore stuff that's been written and, and make up things that are sort of bad Xeroxes. Uh, But um, in this case, uh, you know, I, there are there are other works that I, I would anticipate uh, would be fun to see adapted. I wonder, so maybe you know the problem is if it doesn't, if it flops, then no one's going to drop you know hundreds of millions of dollars on a, on a, another series of this sort.
3: I wonder, could someone just make a fan edit of just the Emperor storyline? Because like it doesn't it, it doesn't intersect with the other stories at all in this season, right? Like you wouldn't you could just separate it out and and watch it on its own, right? I think so
1: yeah more or less except for the very Especially beginning
3: after the the first episode yeah. yeah so maybe that's maybe that's what i'd recommend watch the first episode and then the super cut of the of the emperor storyline and that would actually be that's actually pretty entertaining
2: um so
0: anthony final thoughts
2: i basically agree with what everyone said that um i i think it's oh maybe i would spin it slightly more positively to say that i i think it is a pretty good science fiction tv show and it's both, I think, a mark of how much I love the books and also how much pretty good TV there is now that that is not necessary, that feels more disappointing than maybe it would have 10 or 20 years ago. But but now it feels, I, I think like, I don't, again, I think they did about as good a job as you could adapting the books, but it doesn't feel essential.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think that's an interesting point is that, you know, I mean, yeah, the the positive way to put it was that, yeah, back in the 90s or early 2000s, you just expected every adaptation of a classic science fiction novel to be an absolute travesty. And, you know, the fact that I I think if we had gotten this back then, we would be like, oh, wow, that was like that was one of the most faithful adaptations of a classic science fiction book I've ever seen. So, yeah, I mean, it, it does say like a lot about. I guess how much better TV has gotten and how much more respect science fiction has in Hollywood that, uh, yeah, that we're so disappointed by this uh, when, you know, I robot was sort of the the standard uh, not, not all that long ago.
4: That's That's a very well-taken point. It seems to me, you know, if I had seen this when I was young, I I would have just been on the floor with uh, my jaw drop about the, I mean, you know, it's intelligently made by people who want to do a good job. So uh, I've very well acted really good people in the roles, So, um, yeah, have to keep that in mind.
3: Yeah. So, so I don't know, maybe we're just not the right audience for this, but yeah, maybe someone who's hasn't read the books or who's younger or whatever might, might really love this. Uh, I'd be curious, you know, if, if people are listening who, who just love this, uh, I'd be curious to hear from you. You know, I always like it when, you know, people are enthusiastic about science fiction, but you know, it wasn't what I was looking for, but, um, you know, uh, had a lot going for it. So, uh, and yeah, um, it could, could improve in season two or be more kind of what I want in season two. So I would, I would definitely be uh, curious to, to see if that happens. Um, and so maybe that if, if it does, we can come back and talk about season two. But we are all out of time. So for, for now, we're going to have to wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with Anthony Ha, John Kessel, and Abby Goldsmith. So thanks, everyone,
0: so much for joining us. Thank you, David. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Anthony Ha, John Kessel, and to Abby Goldsmith for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please support us on Patreon over at patreon.com slash geeks, or via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. Alright, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time.